My Mum Made Me, the show about the wonderful and sometimes the weird ways in which our mums make us who we are today. Hi, it's Paul here. I really hope you're enjoying the show and I'm going to ask you a favour if you are. Please do follow us. If you do, you'll get to hear all of the episodes first and of course it helps with my self-esteem. I'm only joking. Don't forget to rate us. We're currently on 4.9 stars, which is really exciting and every rating makes my mum, Teresa, laugh just a little bit more. The house that I grew up in that my mum still lives in is a, is a sort of back-to-back house in Bradford mm. with no garden and sort of a cellar where I grew up and, you know, spit shit, basically. Yeah, yeah. And so as kids, we were like, oh, my God, this is so exciting. And she even told us a budget. Now, at the time in Bradford, this would have been a large budget. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, 25 years ago. She's like, well, we can spend up to 150 grand. And I was yeah, like, oh, my yeah. God, we're going to live in a mansion. It's going to be amazing. So my sister and I, when we were catching the school bus for, to home, We'd stop off in the centre, pick up the Telegraph and Argus, which was the local newspaper, yeah. on a Thursday because they had the property section. And we'd go through and we cut out all of these like... Oh, that's cool. So houses. she involved you in like the... Oh, fully. Thing. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. She, like, we kept a scrapbook of all, like almost like a mood board of all of the houses that we wanted <laughs> to buy. And then we were like, oh, can we go and see this house? She's like, oh, yeah, sure. Like maybe next week we'll go and see this particular house. And we're like, we found this one. It's a bit over budget, but we'd love to see it. She's like, oh, yeah, cool, cool, cool. And what we didn't realise at the time was that my mum and her relationship was falling apart. Oh, no. And then one day she just left with no kind of like forewarning. And I just remember, I think it was, if it, was, it wasn't on a Thursday, then it was either on Wednesday or Friday. But like, I just remember us having the scrapbook ready to get the next paper with the next set of houses that we're going to look at and like not quite realizing obviously that my mom was going through this emotional turmoil but as a kid being like oh like yeah, we won't yeah. have that we're kind of stuck now so but up to that point for all of those reasons my mom was incredibly happy and she was also really excited that we were going to have a better life a better house and she was going to be able to build this with the woman she loved at the time that's great. So it was like that kind of like excitement and like future possibilities yeah. that kind of opened it up. Yeah. And also, I guess for... Also like a true depressive, you've kind of made this story sad at the end, which is nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, but up until that point, it was a positive memory. Like taking on a high like... and then crashing back yeah, down to yeah. it. A... So... Oh, to your question about the positive qualities about mum, I think a lot of people who know my mum will now, and even, you know, way back when, will say she's incredibly generous. And not just generous in terms of her time and her money, but very sort of community spirited as well. Mm. So I'll give you two different examples. The street we grew up on now. So it's more like altruism than. It's altruism. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It is complete altruism in the sense that she asked for nothing back. Mm. The street that we grew up on now is sort of many, many Muslim families living there. And the reason that's relevant is every, as a kid, every year around Ramadan, we weren't allowed to eat outside so we'd be outside the house like eating a bag of crisps or something yeah, we wouldn't yeah, actually sure. that out of respect for our neighbours and now obviously I don't live there but she still does every Ramadan or Eid sorry she buys a whole bunch of like gifts for all of the kids on the street and there's like wow, 10 really nice. families so she'll like save up her money go and buy like Eid gifts take them around and all the kids are like, oh my God. And they all know her as Teresa. And she's sort of built this lovely, she's weaved this lovely community around her. And I didn't quite realise that she did this. Like she never really talks about it. She talks about the kids and, you know, she somehow knows all of their names. She's like, oh, Hamza was playing outside and he was asking after you the other day. But I remember going up at Christmas and like one after another, each of the families knocked on the door on Christmas Eve to bring my mum round all 
Christmas presents because they'd taken, she'd taken them eat presents. So she's incredibly generous and altruistic in that respect. She also does like still a lot of like voluntary work, mm. which as a kid used to really annoy me because I'm like, hold on a second, you're doing all this voluntary work. Why, you doing, why don't you do real work? That's really horrible to say. She would obviously say she would call work voluntary work and paid work. But as a kid, I'd be like, why aren't you doing paid work? Yeah, because we've yeah. got to need the money. However, as an adult, she still, now that I'm an adult, she still does all of these things. So she'll work, she used to work over the Christmas period, including like Christmas Eve, Christmas Day and Boxing Day and stay overnight in like a homeless shelter and sort of like work at the soup kitchen, you know. She obviously does all of this volunteer work with like the story I was referencing earlier with, you know, sexual abuse charities because that's obviously a sexual abuse for survivors charities that's very personal to her. Mm. She does a whole bunch of like voluntary work with asylum seeker networks refugee networks in Bradford and across Yorkshire because, you know, I think in her words she would say, well, whatever situation I'm in, they're in a much less fortunate situation. So she is constantly hyper aware of the world around her and its injustices. And because of that, I think that's a good quality to have anyway, but mm. what's added on to that is this desire to want to make it better generally, but also to care for the people involved and be altruistic and, and be generous. I think maybe there's a, from the outside, there's another level, which is that she's actually willing to do something about it. Yeah. Which is quite rare, actually. Because mm. <laughs> I think, you know, it's a bit of a reminder, I think, because, you know, there's a lot of, look, we're both from London, or we're living in London, right? And there's a lot of chat about yeah. stuff. But when you actually come down to it about who's <laughs> actually doing the stuff, like, there's not a lot of people that either have the time or the inclination or whatever to do that. And so... That's really quite amazing that she's doing that much mm. on a lot of different fronts mm. about things that she actually cares about, but is actually doing something about. And I think, do you know what's interesting is maybe this is a realisation I've just had now. Mm. There are two levels to what you just said. One is something's wrong and I want to do something about it, as in mm. the issue. The other is people are being wronged. It could be the same issue, the same situation. I don't want to help them individually as well. Mm. And I think that's a, kind of a wonderful thing. So to kind of draw not a very good parallel to my reflection. I'm like, cladding's really shit. I want to do something about it, the issue. Yeah, yeah. I think what my mum would be doing in that situation is like, cladding's really shit. I want to do something about the issue. And I'm going to go around to people's houses and visit them and, and make sure they're okay. Consult the individual person yeah. as well, yeah. And that is, do you know what? It's a, it's a realisation I've just had now. I'm not sure it's a difference between me and my mum because I think I would, if someone said to me, will you help this person? I would instinctively say Yes. But she would instinctively do it reflexively, if that mm. makes sense. Like she wouldn't need to be asked or be point something be pointed out. And I haven't quite had that kind of, you know, realisation just yet. But it is just a really beautiful and kind of wonderful quality that she has. Mm. Yeah, I mean, like, maybe we'll edit this out afterwards. But I think one of the things that if I was to take away like a character of your mum mm. that I've kind of gained from this conversation, I think it's that it's actually... I'm very, very careful about using this kind of language because mm. I think that it's it's very misleading, but it's a very British modern mm. character mm. in the sense that you're talking about a person that's got an international family, mm. a multi-racial family, if you want to call it that. You've got, it's about class, mm. it's about different religions and faiths, yeah. and it's that kind of melting pot of all these different yeah. combinations of backgrounds there's obviously like a very difficult background with the family and all this stuff. And it's kind of, that's a very unique 
melting pot. Mm. But I think when people, you know, so there's that, but it's also, I think, the fact that she does do so much with other people and mm. there's that care aspect. Mm. There's something quite like, you know, not that I would, I'm sure she wouldn't agree with me saying this, but you know, like Cameron's big society thing. Yeah. There's kind of an element of that as well, yeah. where she's like, she's willing, you know, she's crossing religious boundaries. She's yeah. helping people. Like, that's a very powerful modern British character. And I think that's something that a lot of people in Britain would aspire to be because it kind of represents the best of that British values, whatever those are, you know. I think that's such a wonderful way to put it. And I would only say this of myself in the last five, maybe 10 years, five years, certainly, mm. that my mum was all of those things that you described. But when it came to her sense of like heritage, like national heritage mm. and identity, she would balk at the idea of Britishness and Englishness. But here's the thing. I'm very proud to be British for two reasons and very proud to be English for two reasons. One is all the things that you said. I think there is a wonderful streak we have as a, a nation and as a country mm. of seeing someone as the underdog, seeing people who are less fortunate who need help. And it instinctively being like, oh, well, we've got to do something about that mm. collectively and individually. And that is her, right? Yeah. I'm yeah, proud yeah. to be British because I think she is That's what I mean, British yeah, exactly. for that reason. But also, like, I think it puts it into a slightly different contrast having one parent who is not British and one parent who is British. Mm. And my dad, for all the kind of the funny and potentially bitchy things he says about, you know, the British Empire or like this country has come here and stayed here because of those values of fairness and help and altruism. And that is a wonderful reflection on me. So I'm incredibly proud to be British for those reasons. Mm. Before, I wasn't, not because I wasn't, didn't think those, I wasn't proud to be British, but because I think my mum, my mum's influence, her balking at the idea of being, you know. But I think it's interesting because I think that thing about, like saying about, you know, because I'm similarly, like I said before, I kind of paraphrase that. Like, I think the idea of people talking about British values is, I think people get very uncomfortable about that. Yeah. And for good reason. But I feel like part of it, it's basically saying, the way I see that is not saying that other countries aren't like that. Yeah. It's just that we're kind of aspiring towards yeah. a set of values. Like, we'll, for example, America goes on about freedom and liberty. Yeah. We also think of that, but it doesn't yeah. mean it's one or the other. It's no. just that we're both doing it in different ways. Mm. And I think that, yeah, I think from what you've described, the British aspiration common values that we kind of have your mum kind of does fit yeah it's a very tolerant and societal model that i think people would probably say was quite core to british values I would have thought. Do, you, do you know what's funny though you're completely right and again my mum wouldn't say this about herself but i would just if i had to you know define what i think is britishness and what makes me proud to be british so many parts of my mum and characteristics of her would, would be that but what's funny is that sometimes those things can go into hyperdrive mm. and almost act to kind of repel people. I say this because it's quite funny and we sort of laugh about it, or I laugh about it with my sister. My mum, about five, maybe six years ago, I was on the phone with her and she told me that she was taking in a refugee. Mm. I was like, oh, that's great. Like, are you sure though? Like, not any other reason other than that you know she has you know, health ailments and yeah, was she yeah kind of like up to you know having someone living in a house when she lives alone yeah, um, there's like a practical element it, of it, it was but, completely practical yeah. yeah she's like no we're going to do this and i was like okay you're able to tell me anything about the person because the bit of me was like okay well you know just for security yeah the woman was a 76 year old jamaican woman okay 
I didn't say this to my mom at the time, but in my head, I was like, okay, I don't know the situation of this individual. Because they I, might have complex indeed. health needs and stuff. I was 76. E- you know? Exactly. So my mom looking after someone who's older was, you know, like a bit yeah, sort of yeah. jarring. But in my mind, and this is nothing other than sort of like a stereotype. In my mind, I don't, if I think of refugees, I don't think necessarily of older Jamaican women, yeah, but who, yeah. who's to know the situation? So I was like, okay, fine. So this woman, you know, arrived and, you know, my mum welcomed her and the like. And then a couple of days in, I called my mum and I was like, oh, how's, how's the woman getting on? She's like, oh, she left in the night. And I was like, oh, that's really weird. Like, how come? And I was like, well, I don't think she liked the fact that I was vegan. And <laughs> she, I think, found the situation in the house a little bit weird because my mum has all these signs i don't know why she has it because she's the only person who lives there she's got all these signs saying no homophobia no racism no sexism right and i'm like great but i don't think you need to remind yourself of all of those things and i think this poor woman let's just <laughs> Can use, I tell you like, something it's really funny because i have this rule right, which is that i always think a bad sign is a sign that you wouldn't put the opposite up of right <laughs> do you know what i mean so for example you're not going to have a sign saying be sexist be yeah. racist be yeah, homophobic yeah, 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 right exactly. so that's kind of like yeah yeah so she had a bad sign. And I think the woman, bless her, who, you know, was going through whatever she was going through in her life and wanted to claim refugee status in the UK, mm. was so perturbed by the things that she found in my mom's house that she would have rather have not stayed there and gone and found <laughs> alternative accommodation. So it was kind of like, I mean, obviously I look back and laugh on it and I think my mum does in a way. It was all well. so, so accepting that it almost wasn't very accepting. It was so, she was so, I think, over the top with yeah, her like, yeah. altruism that it became smothering. And it was sort of like perhaps an unconventional situation for this woman. So if the 76-year-old, probably older now, Jamaican refugee is listening, thank you because I think you both, uh, you helped my mum come to a realisation that altruism is great, but sometimes when it goes into overdrive, it's... Yeah, it's a little bit intense. Well, I mean, I feel like we've kind of dissected Teresa. Sorry, Teresa, if you're listening to this. (laughs) Well, now that we've like, you know, broken your character down into into something else, I think it'd be a good opportunity, given that this is your episode, you're the guest, it's your kind of, you're in the spotlight now, to just talk a little bit about, I think for me, there's two questions. One is, there's a lot of listeners you'll never have met or know about, mm. right? And they'll just be sitting around doing whatever they're doing and listening to this podcast and hopefully taking something away from it. But like, what would your message be to them now after your first season? Like, What's the takeaway you, as the kind of quote-unquote author, want them to hear? I think so much of my mum and my dad is in me. And I've only recently realised that, you know, and I'm not suggesting it's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's yeah, just sure. the truth for me anyway. I think that's true of a lot of other people. And the reason I think that it's important is understanding your parents as individuals and then as your parents is in a way a key to understanding yourself. And I know that sounds, it, it's sort of when I, I've just almost been sick inside my own mouth sort of saying that because it, it sounds like one of those awful kind of inspirational Instagram quotes. Yeah, But yeah. I think there is a truth in it in that all the good things and the bad things that happen in anyone's childhood, and they're always good and they're always bad, inform who you are and certainly inform who I am. And understanding what motivates you, understanding your kind of desires and anxieties, mm. understanding where you want to go in life. I think a key part to all of those things, and those are really important questions for anyone to ask themselves, is understanding your parents.
We're on all the best podcasting platforms, Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, all of them. And we're even on the World Wide Web at MyMumMadeMe.com. Head over to MyMumMadeMe.com where you can get extra unheard voice notes sent to your email inbox from the woman herself, Teresa Sharman. That's my mum. And understanding my mum, the influence that she had on me as a kid, how that carries, and as an adult, but how that carries through to me today, I think makes me realise so much about myself Mm. that is helpful. And I'll give you an example. So we were talking kind of in the break about, you know, if you had no money worries, you didn't have to work for the rest of your life to get money or you won the lottery, what would you end up doing? And and I said, well, I think I'd end up, you know, doing more campaigning stuff, you know, giving creating a platform where I can actually create change, like with cladding stuff, but like on Mm. steroids in a way and with lots of issues. And only recently have I come to that realisation. And I think only recently have I come to that realisation because I've realised, as we've discussed, so much of my mum was about, you know, seeing bad stuff in the world, injustices and wanting to write it and wanting to care for the people involved. Do something about it. And, you know, whether that is learned behaviour or whether it's observed and, and I've kind of put my own spin in it, I think doesn't matter. It just is me because it is her. And the route that I'm on in life at the moment, which is a very corporate route, great. Yeah, fantastic. Everyone wants to have a career. Yeah, yeah. But it's not my life's purpose. And I think understanding my mum has helped me understand a lot more about what I want to be doing with my life. And I think that is honestly like it's a gift. And just having conversations with your parents about these things I think is helpful. I think the big change from going from a young adult to being an old adult and therefore your parent becoming an older parent and an older adult as well is that dynamic changing. Mm. You know, as a kid, it's very much a parent to a kid. As an adult, there's a little bit more equity. And then for a lot of people, you get older and you kind of parent your parents. It reverses, yeah. (laughs) Exactly. And in order for that to either not be a traumatic experience because you know like some people always want to see their parent as their parent as the strong caregiver mm. or whatever in order for that not to be a traumatic experience or, or to kind of go smoothly you need to understand them as an individual mm. not just your parent and funny enough i don't think i don't think this is necessarily true of everyone but i don't think a lot of people have those conversations or ask about the parent the mom or the dad as an individual no i think you're right and yeah, I mean, exactly that, because the problem is it's clouded by your relationship, right? Because yeah. you will see them as a role rather than, like, someone with their own, like, kind of stuff. I think what's really interesting about what you were saying about the role reversing, I certainly find this with my parents, and I think just seeing it play out with their parents, you know, like how they kind of saw their parents through later life, it feels like what happens is there's this kind of wisdom transfer where you, as a kid, get the wisdom from your parents, whether that's, you know how to do things like skill wise or whatever it is morals yeah like all that kind of thing and then as you get older it kind of reaches a parity point and then you're like okay we're both adults in this but then as you get older it's not even just about care it's also about the wisdom transfer the other way and it kind of becomes a thing of like well actually our generations kind of learn this stuff do you know what i mean and one of them which i think is really healthy is actually talking about this stuff because i know the generation above this was not a normal thing yeah you know if you told someone so if you imagine telling your grandparents mm. in Bradford with their own shit, with their own parents, yeah. that you were going to, their great grandson was going to be on a public forum talking about yeah. family issues. Yeah. 
that's just inconceivable. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's so so that, that wisdom transfer back, I think, is so important. And it's I think part of what you're doing is maybe starting to frame that in a different way with people. Mm. So it's not just about, I wonder how my mum fucked me up when I was a kid. It's more yeah. about like, what is this doing to me and to them as yeah. part of this transfer? You know? and, how, and to your point, how can I contribute to the person that my mum or my dad is becoming? Exactly. You don't stop. This is it. You're changing as an individual, no matter how old you are, no matter how many kids you are. Yeah, yeah. You're still evolving as a person. I think that's a really beautiful way of putting it, Julian. Oh, I'm and glad. I think it's true. I mean, look, it's very easy to sit here and talk about this stuff. You know, like <laughs> I wouldn't want anyone to think that like we've got it sewn up and it's like no, you know, the, no. there's a perfect way of being it. But I think that's how I've come to view it anyway. And one final thought, I think, in addition to what you said, which is it helps that wisdom transfer back to a parent, not just from a kind of generational perspective, as you say but also about opening up, which is a generational thing, and also just sort of about sharing the person you've become, because that must be a wonderful thing for parents to reflect on. But I think as importantly, the wonderful thing about doing this for me, this mm. podcast, is I've had the opportunity to get to know people, some of whom I don't know as guests, so much better yeah, through the definitely. lens of them talking about their relationship with their parent, their kind of childhood, not in a kind of therapist way, but in you know whatever reflective way. And it's forced me to have, not forced, but it's encouraged me to have those conversations with friends who I now feel I know so much better and I'm so much closer with. And it's interesting because I don't know about like you or other people, but we spend so much time at work in work mode and out with friends in kind of like friend mode. And there's a lot of like facade that goes on both about how authentic you are as a person relating or kind of like finding that common ground everyone has a mom everyone has a dad even if they're not still around and you know sharing kind of memories and experiences and stories is a wonderful way to pierce through that facade definitely and i think it's very disarming as well because yeah. i mean there are people who you know rightly or wrongly kind of like step away from their families or whatever and become like their own individual right and there is a positive in that which is that you obviously form your own identity and you forge mm. your own path but I think the negative is that you remove all context. Yeah. And that's also to other people. Yeah. So I think for me, one of the things that's very formative in a relationship, whether it's friendship or romantic or whatever, is when you meet someone's parents. Yeah, that's so true. Because you instantly disarm them. Yeah. Because you basically, the context becomes part yeah. of the identity, right? So yeah. the identity is only part of it. Yeah. And the context is the rest. And I think that's very, very disarming to people because you can't help but be like, oh, well, that makes total sense now. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because <laughs> yeah. it's like a, it's, you get the context that you didn't have before. Exactly. And I think that's kind of what you're doing here as well, is, is trying to give people a bit more... Well, you're trying to give people to explore their own context, which is... And if it does that with one listener who I've never met and never will met, then that's a wonderful like impact to have. To share one kind of like perhaps sobering observation and then perhaps one more positive one. There's... Trying to end the positive here. Yeah, I know, like... I'm going to end on a positive, <laughs> don't you worry. Mothers in particular, I think the idea of motherhood and mothers as individuals... Mm is just so visceral and powerful. And the slightly sobering kind of observation is the horrible war that's going on in Russia and Ukraine, or Russia going to war with Ukraine at the moment. Soldiers are seen as soldiers and units, which, you know, is very sort of dehumanizing, you know, as war is. But there's a reason why I think, you know, a lot of Ukrainian people have written to the mothers of those soldiers mm. and vice versa, because seeing someone mother humanizes them yeah they're not a work colleague they're not a Their unit son, soldier yeah. 
they're a son, they're a human being, they're the product of someone, not just biologically, but of someone's kind of emotional investment as well. Mm. And this is the positive note. I, for a long time, didn't like the person I was, and now now I do. And, you know, that may be therapy, that may be age, that That's may be life it, experience. Yeah. But I think if we are the products of our mothers, and I believe I am, it's a wonderful reflection, I think, on her that I like and love myself and I like and love her. And I think having that conversation, having those sort of realizations and moments with your own mother in particular is just such a gift. I think that's a brilliant place to end this. I think that's, that's for me, the nub of it. And I think, Teresa, when you listen to this, <laughs> I, hope, I hope you're not too enraged by the analysis of yourself, <laughs> but, but I also hope that you, this has obviously come from a place of love, this yeah. podcast, and I think I hope that comes across because that's, Important. Well, thank you, Julian. No, you're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I've been Paul. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been someone that Julian can see through the window. <laughs> that is a wrap for series one. We're going to be taking a three-week break which I know you guys will be absolutely flying with and survive with uh, without this wonderful podcast in your lives. We're going to be coming back with another series with lots of very exciting, very interesting uh, guests from the public eye. I will leave you with this, which is the voice note my mum sent me after listening to the three-part series that you guys have just listened to about my relationship with her. So come back in October for more from My Mum Made Me. Hi, thank you for permitting me to listen to it and you were wonderful and I love you and I like you and you are so brave and I'm going to shut up because I don't think I can talk much longer now. Paul, I love you. Bye. And of course, you are a wonderful, wonderful human being. And I'm so, so proud of you. Paul, I love you. Bye.